If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths. And where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.amex slash you know. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Episode 24 of the Bowery Boys. Welcome to the Copacabana. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Com. Hello, and welcome once again to the Bowery Boys. I'm Greg Young. Tom is away on business this week, so we're having a mini-show and focusing on one of Manhattan's swankiest and most notorious nightclubs, the Copacabana, or just the Copa for short. As they like to say, the hottest club north, way north of Havana. In our blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, every Friday we have a feature called Friday Night Fever, where each week we focus on one particular tavern, saloon, speakeasy, bar, or nightclub in New York history. A couple of people have asked why we devote so much space to one particular element of New York history, when we, of course, have so many conventional New York history people, places, and things to cover. The reason is the history of New York nightlife parallels and sometimes contradicts what's going on in the mainstream like political or cultural history of the city. It also reinforces something rather vividly, the lifestyle of being a New Yorker in a particular area. For instance, uh, one is generally considered like one of the first taverns in Manhattan history. It's called the Wooden Horse, and it was built in 1641. That's right, back when New York was New Amsterdam. It was located right next to a fort, maybe a strange place for putting an establishment encouraging public drunkenness, until you consider that people were actually afraid of leaving at night because of frequent Indian attacks. You know, so like in the 19th century, the politics of Boss Tweed and Tammany Hall frequently interlocked with like the boozy establishments on the Bowery and nothing really typifies like New York jazz age more than all the hundreds and hundreds of illegal speakeasies that were opened up during prohibition. So then what does the history of the Copacabana say about New York of the 40s and the 50s? Well, it's a story of the power of the mafia, of changing race relations and I guess most importantly lots and lots and lots and lots of really glamorous superstars. Because I'm sweet.
The Copacabana is named after a historic district in Rio de Janeiro. The original location of the Copacabana Club was at 10 East 60th Street. That's uh, right off Fifth Avenue and Central Park. It occupied the basement of, at the time, the swanky hotel called the Hotel 14. It officially opened on November 1st, 1940. Although kind of identifying the real brainchild of the Copa has a little bit of a point of contention depending on who you're talking to. The club was created and opened actually by a, a very influential British-born press agent of the silent film era. And his name was Monty Prozer. He was also a producer of like several Broadway shows and he owned several other nightclubs. In fact, the year after he opened the Copa, he would turn Madison Square Garden into a gigantic, like, quote-unquote, dance carnival for 100 nights. But with the Copa, he would have, you know, much higher aspirations to attract the biggest movie, music, and sports stars there. Inside the interior was all Art Deco, Brazilian-themed, like, colors of blue and pink everywhere, and full of these fake palm trees, with enough space, at least by the mid-50s, for almost 800 people to be in there and to dine and to watch the performances. The food, by the way, was notably outstanding for the time, and they even had a separate kitchen just for Chinese food, which the Copa would actually be known for. Yeah, a South American-themed bar known for its Chinese food. Yes, anyway, moving on. Well, some of these might have been Prozer's inspirations, he was basically under the thumb of the New York Mafia. You know, you got to keep in mind that the mob had been really hugely influential during the Prohibition. That was repealed in 1933. However, the Mafia was still closely tied to the fate of New York nightlife. During the construction of the Copa, Prozer was approached by no less than Frank Costello, literally the most powerful media don in the 1940s. In fact, Costello, they called Costello the prime minister of the underworld. So this guy's going to show up at your doorstep. You don't have much to say. So anyway, Costello approached Prozer and basically said they were interested in getting involved with Prozer and the development of the Copa. So this is this obviously wasn't a request. Prozer soon found himself working with a couple partners. The first partner was uh, named Jack Entrotter, who would work at the Copa for a few years before moving on to the Sands Casino in Las Vegas. The other man, and the one that's a little bit more pivotal to our story, his name was Jules Padel. Jules was a Ukrainian-born Jew whose family had migrated to the Russian community in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. Jules worked, kind of worked his way up from butcher shops into the New York burgeoning nightlife scene, eventually managing this club called the Kit Kat Club, and later was brought in to work at the Copa alongside Prozer. It should probably then come as no surprise that Prozer soon left the club that he actually had helped to create, and then Podell then became the sole owner of the Copacabana. And in fact, in most advertisements from that period, the club is actually referred to as Jules Podell's Copacabana. Now, it's a bit difficult to kind of understand the function of a club of this type in today's musical context. You just have to sort of imagine... If Alicia Keys, Justin Timberlake, and, you know, horrifyingly, Britney Spears all did, like, these really lengthy engagements in a crowded nightclub for several weeks on end with, like, two or three shows a night. 
it was that kind of star caliber, you know, at the time that the that the Copa offered to people. Um, you know, naturally, the press was obviously there then to write about it. All these see and be seen people showing up. On top of that, uh, r- the radio station WINS, uh, for you New Yorkers out there, it's 1010 Wins, broadcast from the Copa every night from 1 to 4 a.m. And, and they interviewed stars and they broadcast some of the performances. So although these big stars were playing to exclusive standing room only crowds, their every move there were telegraphed and gossiped about across the country and eventually around the world. Brings the at the height of his career, would perform for weeks at a time there. In fact, basically every member of the famed Rat Pack would actually take the stage of the Copa. Sinatra was the biggest star of the late 40s, you know, basically. And his performances, you know, would oftentimes be overshadowed by his girlfriends who'd be sitting at a table, you know, close, close by. Other famous names that performed at the Copa, you had Peggy Lee. Tony Bennett, Nat King Cole, Perry Como, Lena Horne. And then, of course, you had Carmen Miranda. In fact, her little fruited head wrap thingy, whatever it is, uh, would be adopted by the Copa. And they would refer to it as the Copa Bonnet and would be given out to some of the bigger celebrities there as a salute to them for performing. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey... The Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada, where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free, right now on Wondery+. The Copa not only hosted stars, though, it actually made them. Most likely the biggest discovery that they made was the comedy duo of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Having toured up and down the East Coast at various nightclubs, they played the Copa in April of 1948 as an opening act to this now obscure Broadway chanteuse by the name of Vivian Blaine. I don't really find Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis all that funny, like, at all. So I just have to take... (laughs) take on word that they were basically the funniest thing that people had ever seen. Apparently, like they slayed the audience so much that opening night that the audience actually demanded they continue to perform, driving, of course, the, the lead act, Ms. Blaine, into tears, who then eventually quit. Well, Martin and Lewis would perform to sold-out weeks of performances, you know, get discovered by movie producers, and then become big stars. Eight years after their debut at the Copa in 1956, then, they actually had their final performance together. 
back at the Copa and and is basically generally regarded as one of the biggest nights in New York showbiz history, like the the ending of this powerful comedic duo. According to this book, The Copa, which is actually written by Jules Podell's daughter, which I'm going to mention at the end of this podcast, so just you wait. The two had actually built up quite a bit of animosity, which came out on stage that night. But at the end, Martin and Lewis were both in their dressing rooms in tears, you know, with these sensitive men. Another star that actually came to prominence at the Copa was Sammy Davis Jr. In the spring of 1954, Davis appeared with a trio called the Will Maston Trio. However, he soon began performing solo. Eventually, by May of 1964, he would headline and would have a run of shows that would basically be among the Copa's most profitable ever. But it wasn't really an easy road getting there, if you can imagine. Being in the 40s, the black entertainers had to take the service entrance to get into the club. I just think it sounds so surreal to think that a person who can garner a sold-out crowd where everyone's paying money to go see them would not actually be worthy enough to walk through the front door. But, I mean, I guess there's a lot of elements about New York that are just kind of unfathomable and, and America in general. So Davis did have that kind of a problem at first. Luckily, though, he did become friends with Sinatra, who was enraged one night when Davis had come to the front door and was a guest to see Frank perform and was turned away at the door. Sinatra threatened Jules Padel and basically know in certain terms that this sort of behavior was completely infuriating. And sure enough, Davis was allowed in. This would not be the end of any of these race-related situations for old Sammy either. During one of his performances in May of 1957, a group of rather entire intoxicated bowlers yes it was like a group of bowlers there i guess they were still in their bowling jerseys i have no idea but that's how they're the bowlers they actually began throwing out some like racial epithets uh towards uh davis while he was talking and singing and performing so okay that's pretty grotesque but to sort of make the whole thing a little bit more surreal is that they were sitting right next to a table full of legendary New York Yankees. There was Yogi Berra, Hank Bauer, Waddy Ford, Mickey Mantle. I mean, they were all there celebrating the birthday of their second baseman, who was Billy Martin. And, you know, Martin's a bit of a partier, but was also, you know, a little bit more progressive than these drunks at the next table, obviously. So the, the two tables almost came to blows, but the COPA staff calmed them down. But then later in the men's room, Bauer allegedly punched one of the guys in the face. It made the front page of all the newspapers of next morning, as you can imagine. The Yankees were, all of them were fined. Billy Martin was actually traded to Kansas City because of this particular incident. But I mean, of course, he's got a lot of other incidents, so I'm sure it added up. Uh, you know, but I kind of think they all did the right thing. A more pleasant constant of the Copacabana was, of course, the Copa Girls. Uh, strings of slender young women in elegant fashions that basically punctuated every show and provided all this eye candy while the audience was waiting for the irregular shows to begin. Sort of what the Ziegfeld girl would be to the 20s and 30s. The Copa girls were sort of to New York in the 40s and 50s. And uh, even many of the Copa girls themselves would go on to become models and actresses in their own right, including probably the best-known Copa girl, 
June Allison, and she who recently died this year. Jules disbanded the Copa Girls in 1969, although the 60s were still kind of big for the Copa Cabana, like you had The Temptations and Patelia Clark. Dinah Ross and the Supremes had even recorded an album there, but rock and pop sounds just didn't really work in an antiquated place like the Copa. But Jules refused to close it entirely. And in fact, it probably comes as no surprise to find out that the original Copa did finally close, but it was when Podell himself died on September 27th, 1973. However, disco was in the air at that time, and the new one, some new owners reopened the Copa in the same place in 1976, only this time it was a discotheque. And if, as if that wasn't enough, you know this is coming, the Barry Manilow disco song then kind of immortalized the Copa Cabana. And even though the song was definitely about the golden years of the club, it played very nicely, of course, to the white-collared bell-bottom crowd. Throughout the years, the Copa would move a couple times, first in 1992, across town over to West 57th Street. And then in 2001, it moved down to West 34th Street, right there along the Hudson River. That's actually the first time I ever went to the Copa was when it was in that location. It had changed significantly. It was a a Latin club. It played Latin hip-hop music, different kinds. It wasn't playing disco or big band music, obviously. But if it's playing Latin music, it kind of makes sense the more you think about it. It's the Copacabana. Anyway, but it was you know, it's still, very, it was still a huge base, and the owners had diligently kept with the big palm trees, which was great. But, I mean, unfortunately, just this year, in July, the Copacabana closed again. This time because they are extending the number four subway line, and I, I believe they're just going to demolish the building or something. So currently, right at this moment, New York City has no Copacabana. The owners do claim that it will open again, and we all hope that does happen. By the way, if you want to relive a little of the Copacabana magic and you're nowhere near a Barry Manilow record, I can recommend two very different books for you, but they're both loaded with pictures. So, and this, you can listen to me talk about it all you want, but you really got to see the pictures of the place. It's great. Images of America, which is this photo illustrated series of books about New York and about some other old cities. They have a book out just on the Copacabana that's written by Christian Bagelar. And another book just came out a couple weeks ago called The Copa, Jules Podell and the Hottest Club North of Havana. And that's by... Jules' daughter, Mickey, and it's got a lot of good Copa gossip and say, inside stories and, you know, you find out all this sort of interesting things about the man. He doesn't sound like he was like the nicest man in the entire world. That's understatement. And there's lots of exclusive pictures in there, especially of the author with all of these other people. It's great. It's just probably a pretty good gift for mom, especially like if your mom happens to be the type that, you know, wears diamond jewelry while she vacuums the floor. This is the gift for her anyway. Thank you very much for tuning in just for me. Tom will be back next week for our 25th episode and we have something really special in store. So please tune in. And as always, check out our website, BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. 
because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know.